There's an ancient parable that comes out of India. And it's a parable that goes kind of like this. Four blind men saw an elephant. One went up, grabbed the tail. He said, elephant is like a rope. And the next blind man went up and he began to see with his hands and he got a hold of a leg and he says, no, elephant is like a tree trunk. And the next blind man went up and he began to see with his hands and he found the side of the elephant and he says, no, an elephant is like a wall. And so on the parable goes and people there have used it for years and years to justify different religions. They say that there's some truth in different religions because we each experience a part of God and it's all incomplete. And that, that parable would really make a lot of sense if our knowledge of God was based upon experience. But it's not. It's based upon revelation. God has made himself known to us. But I think the parable is still really helpful. They, they just misapplied it. I think it's really helpful because when we read a verse in the Bible and we read it apart from the rest of the Bible, it's, it's like a blind man that argues, no, an elephant, is, an elephant is like a rope. Because we've only looked at one part of God's revelation of who he is it's in the whole bible that we get the the whole picture in fact many false teachings and cults have come from taking one verse or one passage and reading it apart from the rest of the bible and so we see distortion when people say, well, God is love. God is love. Without understanding that God is also just. The Bible teaches both, and they balance each other. If we only read the verse that says God is love, and we don't have any context for this, the Bible, we don't understand what that means, and it leads us to say things like, well, God is love. God would never condemn anyone. God is love. God would never send anyone to hell. God is love. God would never be unaccepting of anything. God is love. That's what happens when we read one verse without all the rest. This is what led some people to say, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament is a God of vengeance and a God of wrath, but the God of the New Testament is a God of love and mercy. But it's the same God. And it's only when we read all the Bible together that we begin to realize that there are different aspects to who God is, and he has revealed them to us throughout Scripture. And it's only in understanding all of them that we get a full and complete picture. Today we're looking at a passage in Ezekiel that balances out all the rest of the book. You see, Ezekiel, the prophet, was sent at a really downtime in Israel where things were spiritually, morally, and ethically dark. And he was sent to warn people. 
And so God called him to be a watchman. And so if we just read just some of the warnings, it sounds like this guy's always negative. He's so harsh. But we come to the passage today and we see the reason. We see God's heart. He sent Ezekiel not to condemn people, but to warn people that they might come to repentance. There's so many things in life that the benefit comes only on the other side of pain and discomfort. And when you, when you realize that, you're willing to endure it, right? How, how many of us have simply held steel while nurses dug for that vein? We, we, we hold still because we know they're trying to give us medicine. They're trying to help us. There's something good on the other side of the pain. How many of us have willingly went into the operating room and let doctors cut on us and knowing that there's going to be a painful recovery process and rehab? But, but we know that they, they don't have any harm for us. Trying to help us walk again like we used to, right? We understand the intended outcome, and that's what puts the pain in context. It's what makes us cooperative and even appreciative of what they do for us. And we begin to understand that God loves us, and God wants us to have life. And he wants us to have a good life. He really does. Jesus talked about the abundance that he came to give. He wants us to have a good life. Then it, then it sets all of the warnings in context. You see, the reason that the prophets were so harsh at times was to wake people up, to get people's attention so that they might be spared. Last year, I believe it was last year, it's recently, there was a lady in Woodbridge, New Jersey. She was out at 6 a.m. and she was walking and she noticed there was an apartment building that had caught fire. And so she ran to the building and she began pounding on the windows and screaming and pounding on doors because she woke a lot of people up. They were able to get out of the building and escape. Had there been no fire, she might have been arrested for trespassing, right? But she saved them through warning. That was God's call on Ezekiel. That's the purpose of the watchman. God called him to be a watchman. That's the passage we looked at last week. And in the verses just before uh, Ezekiel 33 that we're going to today, 30 chapters after last week, God reaffirms that call as a watchman. A watchman as in the person that's up in the tower or on the city wall that's looking for an invading army. And if God's heart was only wrath and God's heart was only justice, then the purpose of the watchman would be to get to enjoy the scene the people slaughtered, but that's not God's heart. God's heart is compassion. 
And God's heart is mercy, and God's heart is grace. So the purpose of the watchman is to warn the people so that they might be saved. You remember the heart of Jonah? He went up on the hill because he wanted to see the fire fall on Nineveh. But that's not God's heart. His heart is one of compassion. So anytime that we read in the Old Testament, we read one of the prophets just condemning the people's activity and saying, this is where you're headed. All that's truth. It's all truth. But it's in the context of understanding that God sent them so that the people might change course and be spared that we see that even in the harshest warning of judgment, it's motivated by God's mercy and God's desire to see people saved. So Ezekiel chapter 33, we begin in verse 10 today. I want to ask you, would you join me in standing as we read our passage together? Ezekiel chapter 33, beginning in verse 10. The Bible says, And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, that you have said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we ride away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord. Now listen to this. Here's the heart of God. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back from your evil ways, For why will you die, O house of Israel? And you, son of man, say to your people, The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses. And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall by it when he turns from his wickedness. And the righteous shall not be able to live by his righteousness when he sins. Though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, yet if he trusts in his righteousness... And does injustice, none of his righteous deeds shall be remembered. But in his injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, though I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. Yet, if he turns from his sin and does what is just and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has taken by robbery, and walks in the statutes of life, not doing injustice, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is just and right. He shall surely live. Yet your people say the way of the Lord is not just. When it is their own way that is not just. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. And the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right. He shall live by this. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, I will judge each of you according to his ways. Let's pray together. God, help us today to understand what this passage to Israel means to us today. I pray that we be faithful to be your people. May we repent of our sins. May we help others to do the same. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your compassion on us. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
We serve a compassionate God, and God's desire is for people to have eternal life. That's God's desire. It's what he wants for people. But we have to recognize that we have a problem before we're ready to hear a solution. And in verse 10, the Bible shows us that for the first time at this stage of Israel's history, they acknowledged their own sinfulness. Now, prior to this, and we've, we're, we're kind of jumping around to some key passages in Ezekiel, but some of the previous chapters, they blamed God for their situation. They blamed their parents for their situation. But now, finally, they're recognizing that it is their own sin that has led them into a foreign land in captivity. God was dealing with them because of what they had done, not because of what he had done or because of what their parents had done. And there comes a point in everyone's life where we have to understand that we may have had a hard road, and a lot of people have. We may not have had parents that loved us, and a lot of people don't. We may have grown up in a bad neighborhood where we were abused, and a lot of people were. We may have been looked over many times in life and robbed of different opportunities, and many people have. But ultimately, we have to decide for ourselves what we're going to do with our life. Whether we're going to follow God or abandon Him. And one day when we stand before Christ, it will not be sufficient to blame our parents or our community like Israel did earlier in this book. And it definitely won't be sufficient to blame God. We have to recognize that we have all sinned against God and we all need forgiveness. And that's the starting point for embracing God's solution to our problem. God is, is trying to reason with us so that we might experience life. And so verse 11, he's reasoning here with the people through the prophet Ezekiel. He says, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. If you've ever read the Bible and thought that God enjoyed wrath, you were wrong. Wrath is sometimes necessary to satisfy God's justice. But because of God's compassion and mercy, he made a way for all of us to escape the wrath of God. In fact, the New Testament says Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The only people that experience the wrath of God are people that reject the solution of God. The Lord sent his own son to die so that we might be saved. The prophet Ezekiel, he delivers this message, and also through the prophet Isaiah. Listen to what he said to the people through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 118. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord 
spoken. God takes no pleasure in wrath upon sinners or even discipline of his own children. What he does, he does either to satisfy his own justice or to bring us to repentance. God's heart is one of mercy and compassion. But even though God is gracious, he requires repentance. And that's what most of these verses are about. It's about God making it clear to them that they must truly repent of their sins. And so Ezekiel 33, 12, it says, And you, son of man, say to your people, The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses. And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall from it when he turns from his wickedness. And the righteous shall not be able to live by his righteousness when he sins. Though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, yet he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice. None of his righteous deeds will be remembered, but in his injustice he shall, he has done, he shall die. So what does all that mean? It, it means that true repentance produces a lasting change of life. It means that you can't repent at one point in your life and truly repent and then just later totally abandon that and then live like a hellion the rest of your life. And you say, but yeah, look at what a great Christian I was when I was young. Look at what a good person I was when I was in my 20s and 30s. Look at what a good person I was. True repentance lasts. True repentance is a permanent change in your life. It doesn't mean that you won't ever sin again, but it means that your whole direction of your life has changed. And the, the amazing thing about uh, God's grace and mercy is that it's never too late to change. Listen to Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 24, the Bible talks about here about the, the fruit of living according to the flesh and the fruit of living according to the Spirit. That is what we produce. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident and the flesh first our sinful nature it's, it's, it's who it's who we are after the fall it's who we are after we took on a sinful nature a sinful nature that we have to put to death if we're going to take on a new nature and be like christ and so it says the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy fits of anger Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I can tell you that I've seen every one of these things in our community. They're all here. And the Bible says these are works of the flesh. If we just let our sinful nature run wild, this is where it'll lead us. But here's the warning. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? If I've done something on this list that I can't be saved? No, that's not what it means. The Bible says here, when it says those who do such things, it's talking about the ongoing practice. In fact, the Bible says in Corinthians, it gives this list of sins, and it even talks about homosexuality. And then it says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. 
doesn't mean that if you've ever done this, you can't be saved. It means that if you're saved, you don't just keep on doing all these things because these things are works of the flesh. They're not works of the Spirit. And so God desires repentance. He requires it of us if we're going to be saved. And repentance is when we change the direction of our life. And so we stop living according to our own passions and we yield our life to the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, here's what the Spirit produces in our life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the Bible says that what I produce is just evidence of who I am. And when I come to true repentance in my life and I become a new person, I begin to produce different things. So now the Spirit works through me and it begins to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Because this is who God is. And as I become like him, I begin to do the things that he does. And because God is so gracious and merciful, that's why it's never too late to repent. And so verse 14, listen to what he says. Again, though I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And and God says that. We know now to, to warn them. To prevent their death. Though I say you shall surely die, yet if he turns from his sin and does what is just and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he's taken by robbery. So so notice that repentance is not just saying you're sorry, but even undoing as far as possible the damage that's been done. You remember that man in the, the New Testament? He was a tax collector, and he said, I've taken from anyone, I'll restore it. Repentance is more than saying we're sorry. It's a total change of heart. It's a change of heart that produces a totally different kind of fruit. The Bible says here that even wicked people can repent and be saved. He says, if he walks in the statutes of life, not doing injustice, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Listen to this. If you're a sinner, this is the best news ever. None of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him. You want your sin to be gone? Just repent of it before the Lord. He wants to forgive you. He wants to cleanse you. He doesn't want to hold it against you. You see, when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he already paid for your sin. God is completely just, but through Jesus on the cross, his justice was satisfied as a substitute was made to pay for our sin. Because God is merciful and gracious, he offers us this gift if we'll just simply receive it now some of the people in Ezekiel's day had a problem with God just like a lot of people today 
They thought that God was not being fair. God was not being just. And so verse 17, he says, yet your people say, this is God speaking to Ezekiel. Yet your people, notice God doesn't say my people. Yet your people say the way of the Lord is not just. When it is their own way that is not just. I saw uh, a video uh, this weekend. It was a, a pastor on uh, Larry King. It's an old video. I don't, I, don't, I don't even know if Larry King's still alive or on the air. I don't know. But it's several years ago, and the pastor was on Larry King. And there was a pastor, and there was a Jewish rabbi, and there was a Muslim. And they were having this little panel debate. And uh, Larry King's trying to reiterate what the pastor says. And he says, he says, okay, so I just want to make sure I understand. What you're saying is, is that a person could basically do a lot of good things, but, but never receive Jesus. And so, so then they get to go to, they go to hell. But you're saying that a person could be really bad, but then later in life, after they've done all these bad things, then they could just trust Jesus and then, then they get to go to heaven. He says, that, that doesn't sound very fair. Which is exactly you know, what the people in Ezekiel's day were saying. It doesn't sound very fair. And, and, and the pastor says, we don't, we don't want what's fair. And Larry King says, what? We he says, pastor, no, if we got what was fair, we would all go to hell. And that truth is that God is not fair. God is better than fair. He is compassionate, he is merciful, he is gracious, and he doesn't want anybody to receive what they deserved. So he sent his own son to die in our place, that there might be a way for us to experience heaven, even though we are sinners and he is holy and righteous. You see, when it comes to the foot of the cross, it's completely level. We all come the same way. Ezekiel 33, listen to what he says about this. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. Now remember, this is the Old Testament. People are living under the law. And God is pointing out that nobody can be saved by the law because nobody can perfectly keep it. But if they would believe and put their faith in him, like Abraham... The Bible says in the New Testament, his faith was credited to him as righteousness. So people were saved in the Old Testament just like people were saved in the New Testament today. Nobody in the Old Testament was saved under the law because none of them were able to keep it, neither are we. But he says when the righteous person, he doesn't really repent, but he just goes back into his old way of life. The righteousness that he did when he was young, that's not going to save him when he's old. And when the wicked person, verse 19, turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he shall live by this. Yet you say, he's quoting the people, the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, I will judge each of you according to his ways. When we come before God, it doesn't matter what our parents did. Doesn't matter what country we're born in. Makes no difference. 
You can be born in a Muslim country and die a child of the king. You can be born in a Christian country and die without any faith and go out into a Christless eternity. It doesn't matter what family we were born into. It doesn't matter what country we were born in. It doesn't matter what we have. When we come before God, it's all level. Everyone has the opportunity to repent and be saved. But we have to decide what we're going to do with that opportunity. And the message of Ezekiel, like, like all through the Old Testament, we see God warning the people so that they might get off the path that they're on. And that was God's calling to Ezekiel to be a watchman. It's a call for the church today, I believe. That we would help people to understand where their life is going before they get there so they can change directions and experience the mercy and the grace of God. Let's pray together. Father, so many people throughout the Testament, the Old Testament are just recorded as serving you faithfully, even when they were hated for it and persecuted for it. But God, they sounded truth. They sounded truth when no one wanted to hear it. And I pray today that out of compassion and love and mercy, that we would faithfully proclaim your message so that people could hear a warning and turn from their ways and receive forgiveness. God, may we be your faithful witnesses to watch in this place. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. God was calling people to repentance in the Old Testament. God's calling people to repentance today. You see, God wants to give us life, but it requires us to change our, the direction of our life. And changing the direction of our life means turning away from sin and turning to so I want to ask you this morning. I, I look around the room. I, I see a lot of people have been in church for a long time. I suspect that, that the vast majority of us are saved here today. But maybe there's somebody that's just never truly put their faith and trust in Christ. I can tell you this. You can sit through a million sermons, and that won't save you if you don't put your personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to decide for yourself. The Lord said to the prophet Ezekiel, to the Old Testament people of Israel, said he was going to judge each one of them according to their ways. In the same way today, God receives each one of us on the basis of our own faith. When Jesus was with his disciples one time, he said, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist and some say you're Elijah. And then Jesus asked them the most important question anybody will ever be asked. He said, who do you say that I am? Yeah, that's the question. When you stand before Christ, he's not going to ask you about my preaching. I can tell you that. He's not going to say, well, what did your church teach? The question is going to be, who do you say that I am? Every person must make that decision. And every person must turn from their own sin and turn toward God. And it's insane not to. 
because God has given us an unbelievable offer that he would pay for our sin and give us forgiveness if we'll just receive it as a gift. So if you've never done that, today, as we sing, I want to invite you to call on the Lord and be saved. If you, if you don't really know how, you just step out from your seat and meet me at the front, and I'll pray with you, and I'll help you make that decision. For those of us here today that are saved, we, we need to live like it. Repentance is not something that you talk about. It's something that you do. And it means a total change of life. And so I'd ask you today just to reflect on your life. Is there anything in you that is not like God? And if there is, you need to give it up and you need to change so that we might put to death the works of the flesh and live by the Spirit. Let's stand together as we sing. You come forward if you need to respond to the Lord.